We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Stay tuned to the end of the interview, where, as usual, I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. All of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Now, on to my guests for today, George Butsalis, co-founder of the new app for social voting called Cast. George comes from a family of successful entrepreneurs in Toronto, and from a young age, he engaged in the typical entrepreneur activities, shoveling snow, lemonade stands, and selling his younger siblings' toys. I love that one. After graduating from college, he went to work in the family business, a commercial cleaning company, starting as a custodian and working his way up with the aim of someday running it. While he liked the work in 2017, he began to wonder if there wasn't something else for him. He set out on what turned out to be a 13-month sabbatical, traveling the world. George shares that he became a more self-aware, empathetic person in the process, traits that serve him well as a leader. George returned to his work managing the cleaning business, But he also started thinking about the problem of social media and the difficulty of sharing honest opinions and engaging in a civil discourse. While he was texting, he texted his idea to a friend who would become his co-founder. Over the years, they evolved his initial idea. And then when COVID hit, causing a slowdown in the commercial cleaning business, George found an opportunity to develop his idea. Cast emerged as a result of what George now focuses on. Cast is an app that gives people the opportunity to vote anonymously, which George believes will give people a more honest perspective on what people are really thinking and feeling, creating a better starting point for discussion and arguments that the current social media just doesn't have. Even though he's less financially secure now, George says he feels freer and is the happiest he's ever been. Now, let's get better together. George Boutsalis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. You are actually the founder of a company called Cast, and it's a social voting app, um, which 
is pretty interesting idea. I know there's been lots of these sort of things in the past, but I'm super interested in figuring out how you guys, your take on it. You also mentioned before we started recording that you actually had your own podcast and, you know, trying that all out and, you know, how to be a good host and a good guest and all that sort of stuff, which I've written about before and always love to hear other people's takes on that. But before we dig into that, dive in, as I like to say, um, why don't you tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? Uh, I'm going to do my best to keep it concise because, um, <laughs> you know, being a podcast host, I, uh, I know I'm, the job is to listen to the conversation. So I've done that being the guest, I typically can get carried away and talking because I'm not one to be in the hot seat usually. Um, so I'll do my best to keep the story as concise and linear as possible. But, um, I grew up, I grew up my whole life as an, uh, I guess you could say lifetime entrepreneur, uh, which I kind of, I guess, inherited or, or learned from my father. He, um, he kind of went in, he started a commercial cleaning company about 40 years ago, uh, you know, just cleaning built office buildings and whatnot. And, and it's grown to be quite a large presence in the Canadian market right now. And, and um, growing up, seeing him do what he did, I always wanted to be, you know, a quote unquote boss, a leader, uh, an entrepreneur, just someone who did their kind of blaze their own trail. It's been in my blood for a long time, but I also had this burning desire to kind of follow in his footsteps and take over the family business. So so I did a lot of my life, um, you know, started with my little entrepreneur side hustles, lemonade stands as a kid, and shoveling driveways up in the great white North door to door, little selling trinkets and all that stuff. Um, little funny story. I actually once started a garage sale, but I didn't sell my own stuff. I stole my siblings toys and, uh, and sold it. And <laughs> are you, off. are you an older brother? I am the oldest. of. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Me, yeah. I'm oldest too. I, I don't think I ever did that, but I used to pull, all sorts of, well, tricks are probably not the right word. You know, I'd say, oh, you can, why don't you go down to the store and buy me some candy? And then the money you have left over, you could buy something for yourself, right? Well, it was never <laughs> left over because <laughs> I'm, that was that kind of a jerky kid. But of course, I gave him something after, but it was a good lesson. Good lesson. Absolutely. And that's what I was actually going to like, you say, you know, I learned from that. I want, you know, obviously, they don't want you to, you or the people to think that in some kind of like, unethical sneaky businessman today because you learn you learn your lessons and you can't do that kind of stuff but when i was no. young i thought hmm, you know i can knock door to door and make money off my own time and labor or i could take other people's time labor and products if you will and make money off them which at the time not realizing how that's well frankly that would be illegal to do today stealing stuff and selling it but uh, <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at the time on how to you know compound the growth and the, and the returns right. of my time so um, learned the hard way. My, my parents obviously didn't, didn't like that. And my siblings. So we split kind of split the profits. Um, but I, I've always had this passion to, to be, um, you know, tell stories, um, be, you know, build brands and companies and ideas and, and just that sort of stuff. It's always been a passion of mine, even just reading about the, you know, startups and, and uh, the business world, the markets, all that stuff. It's just always been a hobby. So anyways, to fast forward, I went into the family business from a young age, started as a janitor, worked my way up and uh, till about 2017. So I graduated 2012. Till about 2017, I was working for the family business and the kind of um, natural progression was next step, move from a vice president role to kind of slow, excuse me, slowly taking over for my father, my, myself and my siblings. But um, my kind of path was to kind of take on that leadership role. And I hit this like crossroads. I, I just wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And it, you know, I had this kind of the weight of the world felt like it was coming in on me. And, and I said, you know, do I want to be in the cleaning space? Do I want to not, do I have, I 
do I want to try my own thing before I, you know, commit to this and just kind of face this like existential question of like, what do I want to be for the rest of my life? And, um, I thought that's what I, thought I knew everything and that's what I wanted to do up until that point. And in 2017, I hit this like roadblock and I said, you know, I, I think I need some space to clear my head and really just figure out who I want. I am, who I want to be as a person, who I want to be as a entrepreneur and so forth. So I actually took a sabbatical. I left my, um, at the time I was a direction on a VP yet. I was a director at the company and I, I stepped aside, took 13 months off and, and, as a sabbatical and traveled the world backpack wow. across, I think I did something like 41 countries. Wow. Give or take. Wow. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, that kind of opened up my eyes to a lot of things, which I, I won't get to yet, but I taught me about who I am, who I wanted to be, just helped me really become a lot more self-aware and self-reflect and then came back, was happy doing what I was doing. Um, but over the time of like my travels and coming back, I started to kind of have this little inkling of an idea that I was getting a bit uh, frustrated with the social media landscape and kind of the narratives painted by social media and the news and, you know, everything seemed to be very subjective or, you know, one, you saw one side of a narrative, whether it's a side you were going to be most agreeable or most disagreeable to whatever it was, you never really saw full, honest, objective picture. That's kind of where the, the frustration started. So I came back to work, was loving what I was doing, working my way up the family, uh, family company ladder, if you will, getting ready to take over. But then the pandemic hit and um, being in the commercial cleaning company that cleans offices when people are not working from offices, naturally, um, oh, there, was a down, yeah. there was a bit of a downturn. A bit. We the, <laughs> bit yeah, we weathered the storm, but wow. but we, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we, we uh, slowed down. So we had to pivot and, and realign some things, but I had a little bit more time on my hands. And I said, you know, I'm working from home. I can kind of manage the, the day-to-day of the of the company. Why don't I try and, you know, go back to this idea I had about social media? I mean, I don't know if you tell you or anybody what's been going on in the world, whether it's big tech or pol- whatever it is, politics, you name it. Everyone seems to be a lot of polarization online. So I thought, you know, what's the worst that happens? Why don't we try and fix some of these problems? Why don't we try and build a platform that is more objective, transparent, and honest? And the long way around the of answering your question of how I got here, we decided to kind of dive in and, and take a stab at this passion project that has now turned into a full-fledged startup, uh, you know, with a team uh, up to about 10 employees now, scaling and raising capital, and um, just trying to, again, build something that brings more honesty, objectivity, transparency to the, the social media landscape. Wow. Wow. That's a, what a great origin story. Um, yeah. And that sabbatical thing is super interesting. I have a friend, DJ, who is, I think he likes to coin himself the sabbatical guy. Um, okay. <laughs> he's writing a book. He's got all these kind of programs. He's, he's trying to build up the, I don't, I don't know if it's like the legitimacy of a sabbatical or just like bring it to light that a sabbatical is a good idea and oh, yeah. that everyone should have access to a sabbatical, um, you know, because it's such a powerful tool for human development. Um, I, and I'm, I I'm, agree. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, I mean, 13 months sabbatical, that's, you know, pretty, it's a, one that's a long time, but I mean, I'm just curious, what, what was some of the insights that you had from that? Because, you know, a lot of times entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs or any, any kind of entrepreneur, like we're always go, 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 go. Like, oh my gosh, if I'm not getting ahead, I'm falling behind and how can I, I can't even take a weekend off. And yet 
you know, you said, I'm taking 13 months off. <laughs> Absolutely. What'd you learn from that? So in a nutshell, I think I just, I, I learned, um, I guess how to, I, this is kind of subjective, but learned how to kind of be a better person, um, a better leader, be more, more kind to myself and the people around me. Um, you know, I was to back up a little bit, a little bit, obviously I had a, a luxury that maybe not everyone might get. And, you know, your buddy DJ, I, I, I would buy that book anytime and I support it. Um, I think more people should take sabbaticals, obviously working for my family. I didn't run the risk of getting fired despite being fired in the past. We can get to that another time, but, um, I didn't, you know, I had the benefit that, you know, they let me kind of step away. It wasn't supposed to be 13 months. It just spiraled up to 13 months and oh, okay. uh, I took advantage of it. It was, should have been maybe closer to seven, eight, let's say, but I, uh, had the opportunity, but anyway, sorry, not to, to ramble and jump all over, but, um, I guess in essence, what it helped teach me, it, it helped me mature. It helped hmm. me, uh, build confidence and it just taught me how to be a little bit more empathetic and try to be more like try to put yourself in people's shoes more often than, than just assuming, um, you know, you know, everything and understand everybody, like really step outside of a situation, try to be impartial and, and, and unbiased. Um, yeah. And, and just more patient, I guess. So I guess patience, confidence, and, and, um, a little bit of understanding and I guess empathy for lack of a better term, it kind of taught me those things, um, all at different levels and different points, but and and obviously those are things that are very important, I think, to for any leader to have. Because before I had left on that trip, one of the things I said was at a crossroads. I think I was starting to realize the difference between what a leader is and what a quote unquote boss is. And I think I wasn't being as as empathetic as I could be and didn't realize like, you know, being a, a good leader is someone who listens. I was a little bit younger, so I thought, you know, I know everything. I don't have to listen to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and you realize that that's not the case, it doesn't get you very far. Um, so you know. Being able to see that those signs and those those kind of red flags and myself kind of brewing, I said, okay, I got to stop this and try and identify where I can improve and grow as a human. And that's kind of what that sabbatical taught me. Being alone for the majority of 13 months in, in foreign lands where you don't speak the language or know anybody, you just have a lot of time to sit with your own thoughts. Um, and being alone with your thoughts helps you realize some of the things you like about yourself, things you dislike, who you are, what you want to be. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of what it, what it taught me. Um, and, and help me grow as a person uh, and get to where I am today. I mean, obviously you made the point earlier, I think you said it off here, like, you know, try, we try our best. We know the things we need to be and need to do, and, you know, we're aware of them, but it, you know, you still have to practice it every day and remind yourself, mm-hmm. Hey, you got to yeah. do this and do that. But the self-awareness I think has improved from that process of just uh, being able to be cognizant of these things and, and, you know, what a good leader should, or what I think a good leader should be. Wow. Wow. What, what was the, what was your favorite country that you visited? So it's a tough one. I'm the biased answer. I'm Greek. I'm a Greek Canadian. So Greece mm. will always be the best, in my opinion, the best place in the world. Um, <laughs> maybe not from their financial economics and their monetary <laughs> policy, but in terms of vacation, I think that I have never seen a better beach than I've seen in Greece. That's mm. a, I can, I'll say that um, on the record, but yeah. my no, my friend, Nick Dias will say the same thing. He's, Oh, okay. Greek, Greek American. He's uh, yeah. he loves. He's he's like Greek and Greek. He's from New York, so he, it's a whole. Okay, story, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of lot of Greeks out there. I have yeah, yeah. Out there, but beautiful. Uh, it's my favorite. But I, if I had to pick one that I was most that I enjoyed the most, um, it's a it's a toss up. I would say probably Japan hmm. or 
maybe India. India mm. was where I had a really, really cool. I was there about myself for a month backpacking and I was there during Holy. Um, wow. Two different experiences. My family and my best friend and his family came to meet me in Japan, which was over my birthday. Was So that was really cool. My, my brother as well. So like I had the people really close to me there. And Japan is like a, a different world compared to, you know, Toronto, even Toronto and, you know, New York, like mega cities. It's yeah. just on another level. Yeah. And then India is like the polar opposite of where, I, where I'm from. So seeing that disparity, um, yeah. seeing the, just the, the, it's just such a different, both different places for different reasons. And really opens your eyes to how much bigger the world is, like how, you know, we all think we're significant in the, in the, in our bubble in our lives, but you really realize how much more is going on in the world, how much people are, how many, what, how different cultures are, how much people are suffering in different places, how much they're succeeding in different places. You know, you just, you start to get a bigger sense of what, what is going on in the world. And it was really eye opening. So for, again, for different reasons, but, um, love both places. What, uh, what part of India did you go to? I started in Mumbai. Mm, okay. um, I was in Mumbai. I went down to Goa for about a week. I took the train down, which is pretty cool. And then went up to uh, Agra and Delhi, saw the Taj Mahal, mm. obviously mm. went across to Jaipur where I was there for a week for Holi. Mm. Um, had a pretty cool experience there. Um, just through a connection that I, someone I met in Tanzania of all places, had a <laughs> friend in Jaipur. Uh, he said, you should go hang out with them. They're good people. They throw this big holy party. So I said, sure. What's the, what's the worst that could happen? And, uh, turns out it was some, I guess, family of the, of the Royal family. So I got to celebrate holy oh, wow. inside the, inside the palace there. Really, wow. really crazy. Like just wow. said yes to some guy and then ended up there. Um, so that was kind of like the end of India. Got the experience holy, which was a big bucket list thing for me. Uh, met some really interesting people, some really cool people. And then, uh, and then, yeah, after there flew out to Sri Lanka, but um, Jaipur, I, I think Jaipur and Goa are my favorite kind of cities or areas in, in, in India. Yeah. When I, when I was in the semiconductor business, I had a team in uh, Bangalore and I had to oh, actually cool. go out to Bangalore and visit them. And, you know, you mentioned about the disparity. Um, I mean, this was back in, this was 20 years ago. So, I mean, wow. Know, like it's was, you know, India was a growing economy. It still has its challenges, but I remember in Bangalore, you know, I was, I was up in this hotel and it's like, I don't know, second nicest hotel in Bangalore. It's this like kind of colonial style kind of thing, you know, had a Irish pub in it and these beautiful, like it, it, you know, when you go, when back then, when you went to India, especially for business, you had a driver because there's no way you're going to drive in India. Like it is yeah. insane. Right. So they're like, oh, okay, yeah. you have a driver, here's your driver. Um, and you know, you'd walk into this hotel and they like salute you and stuff. And you're like, Who, what, what, you know? So it's like the colonial kind of vibe, but I remember, you know, like I would go running around the neighborhood, <laughs> which I'm like, I, I guess in hindsight was probably not a good idea, but I, what did I know? I was younger. Um, and I remember, yeah, running past these lean twos and then the sewer there is even in a city is sort of open. And then I was a golf course. So I'd be running around the golf course and trying to you know, dodge in and out of traffic. And I mean, I do it early in the morning and people just look at me like, who is this idiot? <laughs> yeah. But I get to feel like this is what Bangalore, like the people, like this is what it's like. I remember even looking outside my window in my, you know, 
four-star hotel and there was a uh was a like a empty lot next to it and literally not even 50 feet away is someone living in this lean-to when there was a cow like cows are sacred in india so they had their cow anytime you'd walk down the street you let the cow pass <laughs> like they just they don't you know they're holy animals. And so he's tending his cow, but he's living in squalor. And I'm literally 50 feet away from him in a four-star hotel. And I'm just like, wow, there is, yeah. that's pretty, you know, we, we think we have it bad here in the U S and cities and stuff. And then you go see something like that. You know, we also went to Mysore, which was a really cool, like palace. Mysore was a couple hours, um, I think North of Bangalore and this beautiful palace, but then you have people in, I mean, poverty that you can't even imagine mm-hmm. that's how bad it was so it's, wow and it's interesting too like that you know um i've been fortunate to travel even from a young age you know like my parents have always liked to travel we used to go to you know do greece in the summers and and there's places even in europe you know you might see you know gypsies if you will or, or look mm-hmm. like you know like little slum areas but nothing like you know somewhere like India or even Africa, like before I was in India, I spent some time with my family. Uh, we did like a trip to South Africa and, and Tanzania and some other parts there. And it, I, I mean, to, it really does open your eyes. You can see it on TV. You can hear, you know, you always hear the stories about how in India they have you know, this, the, the biggest tower in the world, the, the most expensive home in the world. And then you have the biggest slum in the world next to it. Um, and you see these things, but you don't really put them into perspective of like what it's like. And, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that it, it, one of the biggest things that I learned is like, well, I guess twofold, like y- your problems seem very insignificant. You know, when you're in, you know, I'm in Toronto and you know, the, the late to a meeting or a dinner or my phone break, whatever it is, it's, it seems so trivial when you see what people are going through there and um, you know, what they, the conditions they live in, where they live, how much they have and so forth. And it makes you re- really appreciate what you have. It makes you realize how little you actually need to be happy. And the more, you know, the more you need to be happy, the probably less happy you in fact are, I would, I would suspect, because I met some of the happiest people in, or at least seem to be the happiest people in these well, places. No, I, like, I've, I've had that experience with some of the clients, my professional athletes. They, yeah. They've got all this money, but they're lonely because they've got all this money. You know, there it's yeah. a, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like there's, I don't, I don't know quite how to put it, there's a certain amount of freedom when you have nothing, but once you start to accumulate things, your freedom diminishes and it takes yeah. a lot of effort to not make it diminish. And I think the, you know, <clears throat> like entrepreneurs chasing the unicorn or doing all these sort of things, like careful what you wish for. I mean, it's great to be successful, but as you kind of go up in the success hierarchy, your freedom diminishes. I mean, that might be actually, I'm curious if you felt that as you started to ascend in your family business, because the more responsibility you have for people and the business or whatever, the less freedom you have to sort of do what you want to do. Yeah. That's perfectly put. Like I thought that's another thing from a young age. I thought, you know, being a boss or a a leader is going to mean you make a lot of money. I'd have nice cars and do nice things. And as I got older, I realized, oh, wow, like I'm making more money, but I'm not any happier. If anything, I'm actually a little bit more unhappy because I'm, you know, you want to keep up with the Joneses and you see your buddies going here for dinner. So you got to go there for dinner and you see your friends go on this trip. So you got to go on that trip. And it's whether you do it intentionally or not, like you, you don't, 
you're meaning you're having fun, but you don't you think that it's it's fleeting, right? Because you're chasing these like moments and these highs, and and they disappear. Um, you know, experiences, even though they're fun to have, and you know, I believe people should spend on experiences, shouldn't define you because you know you might again look at the pandemic. They just everything shut down for two years, and no one could travel, no one could go anywhere. So if you rely on all those for happiness, like they can be taken from you in an instant. And um, to go back, like, yeah, climbing, <clears throat> climbing the family ladder, have more responsibility. Sure, you have more money, a little bit more time to deal, le- like, sorry, less time dealing with small problems, but then you have to be at everyone's beck and call. You know, you're the one that gets called in the middle of the night because of crisis. You got to entertain people and keep the business growing and, and drive sales and hit quotas and all that stuff. So it weighs on you. It's like, well, is all of this worth this? Because I can tell you now I'm in the polar opposite situation where, sure, my title is CEO of Cast. I'm one of the co-founders. But I can tell you I am probably financially the maybe least secure is a good way to put it that I've ever been. Like we're not, you know, we're still in the pros, like we're in the seed stage. So raising capital, but we're not taking big salaries. We actually bootstrapped it um, in the beginning. So we put our own capital in. So I've probably had the least maybe financial security I've ever had and and the least... uh, um, I don't know what you say, like powerful position or influence kind of thing. And I feel the most free I've ever felt. Like yeah, I am yeah. doing what I, I'm doing what I love. Yeah. I'm, ma- I'm making the least money I've made probably since university, um, yeah. which is kind of scary. You have a mortgage and all that stuff, but I, I'm doing what I love. So to me, the rest doesn't matter. It's um, like, I'm actually enjoying every single day. I'm not, you know, even though I'm at the mercy of our, our users and our team and, you know, you have to, you know, have to lead, um, especially with a social product that's in the consumer space that has eyeballs on it all day. Like we see the social space, what's happening now. So, you know, that's a little bit daunting, but we're building a great product that people love. And, and I work with people that I love working with. So, um, like the money doesn't, it doesn't, I don't even have it to have it impact anything. I'm just doing what I love. And that's, (laughs) that's making me the happiest that I've ever been. So, um, yeah, take it from me as somebody who was making it. and, And now is, you know, in the opposite position, like grinding it out, eating ramen on a, ramen on a daily basis it's the most fun i've ever had and i'm actually yeah. probably the happiest i've been in a long time yeah well and i think it's because you've got this mission and this high you know this really strong why and again you know I, i'm not saying that making money isn't a good thing and i'm not saying that sure. you know that shouldn't be something but i i love how you put the the priority of your life and how much you really need to be happy and what makes you happy is not this fame, fortune, and prestige, this, you know, external trappings of success. It's the connection, the relationships, the experience, the people you work with, the mission you're on. Like mm-hmm. I felt this way a lot as well. I mean, when, you know, I talk about her all the time, but when, when Jane died, my wife, my late wife, um, you know, I was at a crossroads too. Um, and it's funny because the world gets so crystal clear <laughs> when, you literally just have a, like a traumatic life event, which I hope, you know, uh, probably people listening, of course, eventually you're going to lose someone you love and they're going to die and you're going to be sad. But like th- there's a monumental moment, these monumental moments in life where you just sort of like you can take the fork in the road, right? Which is the only way I can put it. You can either go down path A or path B um, and the insights from that experience sound, you know, tip, similar to when you travel, because, you know, when you travel, you can see a photo of a slum, but when you smell, <laughs> a, when you smell a slum, <laughs> you like, oh, yeah. okay, I know, like you never forget the smell, like in India, I just could never forget the smell of India, the wetness, the stickiness, the just like, 
Yeah. It was all immersive and there's no photo on the planet that could capture that and being there and talking to the feeling, the energy of the people. And again, I think this is the reason a lot of times, you know, people say, you know, get out of the office, get out of the building. Like the answer is not in the building. It's out there with customers and interacting and trying to, you know, all entrepreneurs like obviously have to do this because trying to get your product off the ground you know, you're in your own little bubble. It's myopic. You don't know what you don't know. You got to talk to people and interact and all that sort of stuff. And so I'm curious with cast, it's, uh, you know, you know, your tagline is social media meets social voting. I'm, I'm just curious how this works because it seems to me, you know, given what we've talked about that really, and you don't have to, you know, go a huge step to see how broken social media is. I mean, it's broken. Like clearly we're, living in little bubbles and stuff. I mean, how are you going about, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but almost like your, 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 your travel, your sabbatical experience. It sounds like your sabbatical experience is kind of really driving this sort of how we're going to do social media better. I'm just tell yeah, me a little bit that, about that. That's fair. Um, well, to the point, like I said earlier, the idea kind of sprouted while I was away. I actually have a text message I sent to my now co-founder and best friend, uh, Ricky. I had messaged him and he teased me. He's like, you're the guy with a million ideas and you never act on them. If you had acted on all of them, you'd be a billionaire 10 times over by now. Um, but this idea is I, one day I just, I woke up, I was thinking I was in like Bangkok or something. And I, and I said, Hey, what do you think about an idea that just like is tries to, um, you know, be more factual around public opinion and, and kind of be pre- like, maybe it's a prediction game where we see what people think about future events and how it's going to play out. That was kind of the early impetus, uh, or the early like inkling of it. And it started to evolve because, you know, we started talking that this won't work and this won't make sense in this reason. So it, it evolved and evolved and we kept talking it out and we, and we realized, well, well, what the world needs is a platform that lets, it's twofold. It, it gives you an honest and instant snapshot of public opinion and, and, okay, well, that's easier said than done because how do you get people to be honest? Because it's very hard to be honest today. Like pe- a lot of people are, you know, they, whether they virtue signal or they tell you what you want to hear or they don't tell you anything at all because they're fearful or they have anxiety or there's the social pressures or they worry what their employer will think. They're worried about getting canceled or, or whatever it is. Um, people are refraining from sharing. So it's harder to get honest and instant opinions um, and a true snapshot. So that all in mind, we said, okay, how, how do we solve this? And, and, you know, why do we just solve this? And again, you brought the point up about social media is causing bubbles today. And, and I'm of the belief after seeing my experience traveling and seeing like everyone is so different, never mind being from different parts of the world, but just how you've been raised, your cultural differences, your ethnic differences, your religious differences. Like everyone is different. We're not, like, it's not a, a secret. No two people, like, very, I mean, if there's two people the same, I'd, I'd be. I'd love to meet them, but everyone has different, everyone is different. Everyone has unique experience that shaped them. Yep. But that doesn't mean that one opinion is more important than the other is more valuable, is more correct. Opinions are opinions. And we can believe what we want because we see an incident. We take our beliefs and our first principles and we formulate our opinion and we give it. And, and that's part of the, you know, public, public conscious, public opinion and so forth. So I said, this is cool. Like I'm, you know, I'm learning from different ideas and different ways of life and how different people look at different events and what things mean different uh, what things mean in different cultures. So I said, okay, like, you know, public opinion needs to be more diverse and, and be more transparent and let people think for themselves, not say, you know, Fox thinks this and Al, G- Al Jazeera thinks this and CBC thinks this, like 
Just give us a snapshot. Social media has billions of people on it. How can we not aggregate it, uh, like, you know, public opinion in a more honest, transparent, objective way? I hope I don't lose anyone on there. I was kind of throwing some some words out. Um, <laughs> That's but okay, we said though. we said we want to you know create this this platform that lets people just see instantly what everybody's saying, um, and then hopefully have some healthier discourse around it and, and just more more fact, like more of looking at the same reality. So we built a social voting platform, kind of like social voting, social polling. It's kind of interchangeable, but basically a platform where you can ask questions, create polls, and and let people share their honest opinion online. Uh, how we do that and get those honest opinions is everybody votes anonymously. Now, that doesn't mean the whole platform is anonymous. It's not uh, like a yik yak or anything like that. But when you vote, your vote input goes in fully anonymously. So no one knows what you're voting on or how you voted, which then ensures we're, well, ensures that we're getting honest opinions to a degree, 99.9%. Somebody might put a fake vote for whatever reason to, to game the system, but we're, we're almost certain between um, a pretty close margin of error that people are putting their honest opinions in. We then aggregate every single opinion. We don't show you, you know, Hey, Jari's going to be more agreeable to this. Serve him this. It'll make him happy and give him some dopamine or right, right, right. serve him this because he's going to get more upset. And he'll be, you know, be more enraged, comment more and so forth. We just say, here's what the world is saying. We're not going to tell you what to think or how to think. We're going to put it in front of you. You both like basketball. You might think LeBron's better. You might think Jordan's better. That's fine. This is what the whole world thinks. Hopefully you can have some debate around some facts and some, um, the same reality, not these siloed subjective realities. So that was kind of what to solve it. I, you know, I hope I, again, hope I was anyone. I kind of went off some, some tangents there, but, um, that's kind of where it started and, and the idea of it, the foundation of it, the why, and, and, and yeah, it started from the sabbatical of, of seeing just people think differently and people have differing opinions. I don't necessarily agree with everything. I mean, I don't even agree with some of my best friend's opinions. I don't look at them lesser. I don't think their opinion matters less. We can, you know, we don't have to always agree, but their opinion is equally as valid as mine. It should be in the, in the sphere of public opinion and, and it should contribute to it. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Interesting. It's super interesting. Cause I think there's a lot of, um, oh, boy. I mean, this is can sometimes be a really tricky subject and very sticky because if you're right, the uh, virtue signaling, um, the culture nowadays of um, trying to, I, I don't know what it is. It, we have this problem in the U.S. Like it's 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 actually a, a it's actually a huge problem because what tends to happen in social media, as you know. Um, is that you get in your little silo, your little bubble, and then it amplifies inside your own little bubble and you just get all pissed off and you think, oh, those liberals and oh, those conservatives and blah, 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 blah. You know, like you get a real, it's divisive because, you know, we as humans are more apt to, to respond to negativity and threat than we are to good news, right? I mean, that's reason why the old saying, if it bleeds, it leads. It's just, yeah. I mean- it's, it's almost like an order of magnitude, different effect. Like, I don't know if anyone's ever quantified it, but it's clearly the fight, flight, res, you know, freeze response, the threat response amplifies and dumps, dumps, you know, cortisol, the whole thing, right? We're very um, tuned into that because of evolution. And yeah, it just, it makes the world a worse place because, you know, I, I try to talk to as many different entrepreneurs as I can on, on this show. And some, you know, 
clearly different political aspirations than me, clearly all along the spectrum, right? And and what's interesting is that you what you find when you just sort of sit down and talk with them is that most people, you know, want to have a happy life with their family, provide for them, you know, be left alone generally, <laughs> you know, like they want the world to be a better place for their kids, their friends and family. And most people are really super reasonable. I've, I've never really interviewed anyone um, or that's an entrepreneur that doesn't have this sort of pragmatism of, well, we do what we can and this is, you know, how it goes. Like it's the, the dogma, it seems is a little bit less when you actually have to go out and create something, right? Like what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a new platform to get people to use it. You can't like be narrowly focused because you really don't know what's going to work. So you have to have an open mind and you have to have the ability to be like, oh, well, these, this is interesting. What does this mean? You know, as opposed to what you mentioned about virtue signaling um, and all of the, both on the left and the right, traditionally here in the U S and I'm sure in Canada a little bit as well. Like you can't put the dogma. I mean, it's, it's almost borderline religious in some cases, yeah. some views. And you're like, this is, can't be, it's dogma. Like get, get out of your own head. Like there's things that work. There's things that don't work. We should have a dialogue in the public square where everyone's heard, like what you're trying to do. Let's see what the people are thinking and then make up your own mind. Yeah. You know, I, I agree hundred percent. And it's one of the, one of the things that I, I actually kind of were leading to it and I, and I missed the point. And it, it's interesting how, like, let me phrase this properly. You know, I can, as, a, as an entrepreneur, but as, as just a curious human being, I, lo- I love hearing other perspectives. And, you know, like I said, I had a podcast previously and, and um, I'd give anybody a platform. Again, this is assuming, like, I'm not going to give someone who's a, a racist or a, uh, yeah, well, there's, like, there's, there's there's standards in decorum, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and the worst part is today, like you know, you have to even preface that because when we say like you know, free speech and free ideas and all that stuff, I, I it's a shame that I have to say, well, yeah, not not these things. It should be implied, but I just want to make sure it's clear today because you never know. But the most interesting thing is like, again, I have my co-founders. We're three of us are so different in our political beliefs, in our in our principles and our ideologies. But we all have the same mission. We all believe that people should be able to see public opinion and so forth. Like everything we're doing at Cast, we all believe in. But you know, politically, one of my one of my co-founders is like the I wouldn't say like we're polar opposites, but he's very on the other side of the fence than I am. I don't think of him as less of a human. He has different interests, different needs, different beliefs than I do. It doesn't make him a worse person. So it's funny how today, like we just we see a person in the street or online and they say something, and we assume that. That one thing defines their their character, mm. defines their their who they are. But point. the other thing to go back that one of the biggest things that I failed to mention that is that the sabbatical taught me is the farther you get away from your home, the um, the smaller the similarity needs to be with somebody for you to get along with them. And I guess I'll unpack that a little in case it's maybe someone hears that and thinks it's unclear. If if I'm in if I'm in Toronto and I meet someone on the street, chances are they're Canadian. But I'm not going to look at them as being Canadian. I'll look at the guy and say, "Well, he's got long hair. He lives in this area. Mm, he he looks maybe like a like an asshole." I'm not going to talk to him. But that's, I size him up from his looks. Now, if I'm across the world in, in say again, you know, in uh, Jaipur, India, and I'm in a hostel and I meet a guy who's a Canadian, he says, "Where are you from?" He's Canada. 
nothing else will matter. The fact that he's Canadian, <laughs> that's true. I'll say, oh, that's so cool. You're Canadian, that's true. And you have, and you start to build these similarities. But right. you see, here I'm around six million Canadians in Toronto, and most of them I'll probably look at on a daily basis and not care. But you put me in a in a country of a billion people, and I meet one Canadian, he will become my best friend. <laughs> and and it and it when you once you realize it's that, true. that's true, and you act that way so far from home. What's the difference when you're at home or online? You know, like I'll be, you know, like more, I think that's one of the other things that people will learn by getting out of your comfort zone and away from your home is that we're all, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where you're from, your skin color, your race, your your religion, your ethnicity, anything, your, your sex, your gender, like we're all humans on one earth and we're all, you know, we all have mothers and fathers. We all believe certain things. Re- seeing what one person's opinion is on one matter doesn't define them. So why do we have right. feel the need to like attack them based on one opinion? Yeah. You know, agreed. I, agreed. I, I have, I have political beliefs, just not to stick to politics to try to stay away from it, but I believe things on the left and the right. Like I, I see yeah. that they both do things equally yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. But if I say, I like this thing on the left, someone's like, Oh, you're on the left. Well, no, like I, I also like this on the right. Well, then you're yeah. on the right. No, like you can hold conflicting beliefs and you can pick ideologies that you want to define yourself. Like what, you know, we, we pick this thing and then you get painted with this brush and that's what you believe now. But yeah. you see, like, that's why with cast, one of the things we do differently is we don't just show you the whole, the whole picture. So let's use the easy one of LeBron versus Jordan for a sports analogy. Um, or yeah, let's use LeBron and Jordan. You know, people are, are kind of polarized here. Like a lot of the younger generations, maybe 30 and under, have only known LeBron James playing. So they say LeBron yeah. is the greatest. The yeah. older ones say Jordan. We'll never know who's right and wrong. You can have your own opinions, but like just it's okay to debate and have differing opinions. But then what we do at cast to kind of paint that more objective picture and transparent uh, transparency is we break down that whole macro vote into micro demographic groups, not to typecast anybody, but to say, okay, I'm a male from Toronto. I think Jordan and most people I know think Jordan. So in my bubble, Michael Jordan is the greatest. But then I see that maybe 90% of the world thinks LeBron. Okay, well, that's interesting. Who makes up the ninety percent? Is it more males to females? Is it you know the 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 millions in Chicago that that make up that <laughs> that is the demographic and they're the exactly. holders? Like like exactly. that's the other thing, right? We we see these like big big numbers online. People think this and think that. Well, can we break it down further and really see what who thinks what and you know where I fall into this picture and can I be more open minded and see why this group thinks this? Can I talk to them in their language, so to speak? So. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just it's really interesting how we, we paint people with these broad brushes and, and put them into these groups and think that that's what they are, who they are, and we that's all right. we see. Yeah, we're trying to break it down further at Cast and show you that you know the world has these little niche pockets and bubbles, and everyone thinks differently. And um, you know, being more open minded of that is probably a good thing, good for your own growth, good for our discourse and society as a whole. So it's another one of the whys we're, we're diving into. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think it's also. Uh, extremely condescending to just limit, you know, someone by one thing, like, you know, if it's always the, like, you're either with us or against us mentality, which I am never a fan of because I'm with you. You know, my, my fiance Minerva always says people are always something and, 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 and you're always an and right. Yeah. And you may have a different view of, let's say homelessness as opposed to the economy as taxes or, you know, is LeBron better than Michael Jordan? I think Michael Jordan's better, by the way, but I'm 50, so, you know, Fair. because I'm older and I saw him play. Um, but, you know, it's, I'm just so fascinated by this because I see 
I see a lot of people trying to solve problems in the world. And my, my, my hypothesis or my belief is that entrepreneurs are the ones that are going to solve a lot of these problems because an entrepreneur's job is to create something out of nothing to help society, to help their community. And when, when given the right framework, given the right opportunity, anyone can do this job and anyone can help their community. And when I mean community, it's like your local community or your world community or whatever. And it's only through our shared humanity and finding the finding. Well, the way I like to say it is finding your, you in someone else. Like there's always something that's like, God, you're just like me as opposed to you're different than me or the color of your skin or your political. I mean, like there's so many like labels where I think it's extremely condescending to label people just one thing, because there are some people you just would quote unquote, never know, or they may have, it's everything's nuanced. I mean, you can't just be like, okay, if you believe these five things, you're liberal. If you believe these five things, you're conservative. If you're not liberal, you're not conservative. You're not on our plate. You know, you pick, pick a side. I'm like, I don't want to pick a side. I think some of these, some of the things, both of them do are crazy and completely insane. And I don't have to go very far to like, this is not part of my ethos. Why do I, why would I agree? So yeah, the nuance is, is always lost. And I think we have definitely fallen down as, as, as a world society by labeling people and trying to, uh, yeah, like the, you know, the public square is now more bullying than debate. Like I remember when I was a kid, there was a William F. Buckley, and there was another guy, and I don't remember his name. William F. Buckley was conservative, and the other guy was liberal. Oh, God, it was Kinsley. I think it was Kinsley. I, anyway, I don't, I don't remember his name, so no, no offense to him. But it was something called Crossfire, which was on public television, right? And I did not necessarily agree with any one of them, but I loved the discourse. It was just so interesting how these guys would, like, debate and like this and that, and then, you know, they'd go – have dinner or like talk, like, you know, talk about like, the, like they were intellectuals in the true intellectual sense. None of this dogma, like if you don't believe this, you're evil and you need to be canceled. It was like, well, I think you're wrong. Here's why. And, you know, can I convince you? And there's, there's a, there's actually a podcast. Oh, and I don't remember the name of it where there's um, it's a woman and a man and they're one's conservative and one's liberal or, and, they do a, a, a show like where they're talking about all this. Oh, I don't remember the name of it. I should, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's so fascinating because they are just like really respectful for each other. And like, I'm going to break this down, you know, and you're like, wow, finally, you know, and I, I hope that's what casts will be because when you're in your own echo chamber, you think everyone's the enemy and chances are not everyone's the enemy. In fact, most people aren't the enemy. Most people are just like you. They just want to be left alone and they want their families to be happy. They want to be happy. They want to see the world a better place. We're not all evil. You know, we all just want to get along. So, yeah, that's a good, that last thing you said there. And I actually had this conversation recently with, with my, my girlfriends and my friends is that a lot of people, even amongst becoming almost, you see it like in, you know, amongst like sometimes in friends, but mostly like, you know, when you're having a debate, it's people, you, a lot of people default to assume bad intent with people. They always, they, you know, it, it feels as if there's a lot of people, especially online that, that default to, 
this person said this, so they're probably an asshole or a monster. It's not, hey, they're probably a nice person and they either said something they disagree with or they said something that's not factual. They made a mistake, right? Like it's automatically, it's like trial by fire. You said something, you must believe this whole thing. You must be a terrible person. And it's so interesting. Like, and I think that's what fuels it more. And and whether it's compounded by what we're served up in social media or what we see, I, I just, it, and maybe it's always humans have always been like this, but it feels like it's getting worse. And it seems like everyone is always default uh, is this person said this because they are this, or they believe this, or they they're trying to, you know, push this agenda or whatever it is. Like, you know, when I see something, someone says, I don't agree with it. I'm like, okay, maybe that's stupid. Or maybe it's kind of, you know, he's offside or a little bit too hateful or angry, but maybe they're just having a bad day. Like, if you, you know, if you just default to this person's bad, you're going to see red and you're going to want to attack and it's going to yeah. make it worse and yeah. vice versa. Like, why don't you just like, if you take the approach of, Oh, maybe they didn't know what they were saying. Let me ask them. Let me see if they really believe this. Let me find out if, do they really think the world is this way? Or do they think that, you know, do they really believe this thing or does this group really believe it and be more inquisitive and, and try to pull some nuances out of it? As you said, you'll probably get to the bottom of it and people are probably reasonable, rational, or maybe not rational, most people are think <laughs> irrational, but, but at least most people are reasonable. They'll, they'll sit and talk to you. And, and if they don't, they at least gave the benefit of the doubt. You did your job to try and, you know, bring healthy discourse and bring people to see both sides. But yeah, maybe it's if people just, they default to think like, you know, again, you're not with us, you're against us. So anything you say means you're against us and you don't give people the benefit of the doubt anymore. And maybe it's just like self deprecating cycle and so hopefully to your point we hope that cast can can help that by again just giving people the objective reality at least that you know we hope everyone uh, we assume everyone's being truthful because there's no reason to lie behind the anonymous vote we take the data show it to you paint this reality that everybody can see whether you believe it or don't believe it if you like basketball you'll see the same stats and the same data if you like politics you're going to see the same thing you're going to see all parties from both sides of the spectrum and in the middle voting on it. And we're not telling you that this is the way the world is because you like it or dislike it. This is what everybody's saying. And if you, you don't have to agree with it, but at least you're speaking the same language and you kind of have the nuances in front of you to kind of discuss and hopefully try to get to the bottom of things rather than, you know, thinking everyone's a terrible, everyone's against us kind of thing. Well, George, that's a great place to end it. I really appreciate it time and the honest discussion and your experience with sabbaticals good luck with cast and uh yeah definitely stay safe and keep in touch thank you thank you joe i really appreciate the time and yeah great really great conversation i appreciate the uh the insights as well thanks george for an awesome interview i really enjoyed it now as promised here are some actionable insights that i learned from my conversation with george George talks at length about the impact his travels had on him by seeing the wide range of differences out there and becoming more self-aware as he found himself in places all alone where he didn't even speak the language. He acquired a sense of empathy and a desire to engage with different perspectives. Even if you can't go on a sabbatical and travel the world, just getting out of your comfort zone, putting away your assumptions about others and getting curious, as well as practicing more self-awareness can do a lot to help you grow as a person. And this is totally true. I always say that the answer is not in the building. So if you are thinking about being an entrepreneur, definitely ask yourself, you know, where can I go to find more information about things? How can I get out of my comfort zone? How can I change my perspective? How can I get into the 
you know, the same shoes as, as metaphorically that other people are walking in so that I can understand the challenges they have. George shares that he feels happier and freer than he's ever felt. Finding a passion project to engage in and working with people he loves to work with, what he cites as major factors. What's the lesson here? Find something you love to do and then find people you enjoy doing it with. I know, <laughs> seems a little obvious, but a lot of people will um, put all that on hold for money, fame, fortune, and prestige. They'll basically sell out. And um, in the short run, that may be okay, but in the long run, you're just going to sit there and be miserable as you get more and more locked in. So, you know, as I always say, entrepreneurship's about freedom. You're not necessarily going to get rich. But if you want to have a free-to-be-you-and-me kind of attitude and be free to create and work with the people you want to work with, then definitely it's something that to, to look into. So there you have it, the actionable insights that I learned from my interview with George. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.